You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Revelation chapter number two, we'll finish out this chapter here this evening. Thank you for being faithful to church and being in your place for the Wednesday night service. And uh, actually, we won't finish out the chapter. We'll get halfway through it. One more message out of chapter two. I'm praying God will speak to our heart tonight. And it's amazing as you work your way through just these letters to these churches, how applicable they are to where we're at even today. And I'm glad our Bible is current as tomorrow morning's newspaper, if they still make such a thing as a newspaper, is just that current. But I want God to speak to our heart tonight. We're going to look at this church in a city that is named Smyrna. And there's a lot of meaning just in the name of the city and where God has planted and placed this church in that place for such a time as they were serving in. And it will apply to us today. We looked before at the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus had left their first love. And we talked about that. Repent and resume. Get right with God. Go forward. This church, Smyrna, if you study out these letters, is one of the churches written to, but there's no condemnation of any kind of wrong here in this letter. There's no sin mentioned. There's no correction given. This is a church that is a church that is being persecuted for their stand for Christ. So look with me here, if you would, in Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 8. And pray with me tonight that God will speak to our hearts. Here's what I know. We don't have services to waste. We don't have a time just to come and be entertained and sit through this thing and not have God meet with us. And I'll tell you what I want to see is real revival. Not fabricated, not emotionalism or anything like that. But I want God to meet with us and speak to our hearts tonight. And here's the good news. God wants to speak to us even worse than we want to hear from Him. And we'll see what God has to say to us through this letter to the church at Smyrna. Verse number 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now we know who it is that's speaking. There's only one that was dead and is alive on his own accord. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the first and the last. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Look at those three words, thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. I notice those three words here, thou shalt suffer. If you study out the history of this church that was in the city of Smyrna, you'll find that this church was persecuted very severely. They were persecuted by the government. They were persecuted by religious factions. They were persecuted from those in culture. They were ostracized and banned from being part of the different guilds and part of the commerce of the city so that they were impoverished, they were poor, they were taken and they were placed in the arena. Many were fed to wild beasts, some were burned at the stake. A man who was the pastor of that church named Polycarp was burned and very famous martyr for the cause of Christ. All of that happened here in this city. 
There was an occasion where 1,500 people were martyred at one time. Another occasion, 800 people martyred at one time. This is a church that suffered. But I want you to see, Christ said, but thou art rich. For a little while this evening, we're talking about Christ and his church in the last days. I want to speak to you on this thought. Some sweet things out of bitter tribulation. And I'm glad God is in that kind of business that he can bring some sweet things out of bitter tribulation. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight. I pray that you'd remove any hindrance or distraction. I pray that you'd bind the devil and keep him far from this place tonight. And God, I pray you'd help us to hear from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number 10, there are three words that are absolute and definite. Christ makes this statement to these Christians and to this church, and here's what he says, Thou shalt suffer. That is far from a promise of prosperity or popularity. What Jesus is promising these faithful Christians is a cross. Now, you know tonight that if the world gave our Lord a crown of thorns, they're not going to offer us a crown of comfort or ease. Suffering is just part of Christianity. Now, suffering is a subject that if we didn't have to talk about it, we would not talk about it. If we could remove it from our vocabulary, we'd remove it. If we could erase suffering from life, then I believe we'd erase it from our lives. If we had our, our way, there'd be no graveyards. If we had our way, there'd be no hospitals. If we had our way, we wouldn't need jail cells. If we had it our way, the storm clouds would never gather and the deep valleys would never come. If we had it our way, there'd be no trials, no troubles, and no tribulation. It'd be as uncommon to us as water is on the sun. Even as I walked across the parking lot tonight, I was on the phone with my, my dad who's in the hospital tonight, and that's just how life is. Life is full of suffering, life is full of trouble, and life is full of tribulation. The truth of it is tonight, Christianity does not exempt us from suffering. In many ways, Christianity invites suffering into our lives. You know this, we suffer physically and mentally across the spectrum and even spiritually. We suffer from the effects of sin. And sometimes at seasons we suffer simply because we're a Christian. The world thought our Savior was a devil. So don't be surprised if they demonize his followers. Amen. A preacher from the past said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly unless he hurts him deeply. And though the road to heaven is the sweetest road we could ever travel, it is a rough road, and at times it's a treacherous road. Christ told us that in this world we will have a tribulation. Paul told Timothy that everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus can expect to suffer persecution. And the more like Jesus we become, the more tribulation we can expect. Peter penned this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. God gave Jeremiah a vision of a lump of clay. That lump of clay was on the potter's wheel and being molded and shaped by the hand of the potter. The potter taken that clay out of its natural surrounding and picked it up and placed it upon his wheel. The potter began to form and fashion and mold the clay. He began to get the imperfections out and beautify that lump of lifeless clay, making it into something that could be used and something that was beautiful. But on the potter's wheel, the vision is it was marred 
in the hand of the potter. The potter took that lump of clay and broke it down and he began to mash it and crush it in his hand, but not to destroy the clay. He made it new again and made it more beautiful than it ever could have been before. And that's the truth in our life that often God's tempering tool for the Christian is trial and trouble and tribulation. Job understood that truth when he said, He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Christian is not strengthened without trouble. The Christian is often strengthened through trouble. Malachi made the statement, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And tonight we can rest in this truth. God knows how to get the most glory out of his children. God knows how to get the most glory out of my life. And God knows how to get the most glory out of your life. And God knows how to make me more like Jesus. And God knows how to make you more like Jesus. And often, he uses the wheel of trouble or the fire of suffering or the press of tribulation to get the most glory out of his children. Tonight, I'm glad God is in the business of bringing some sweet things out of bitter tribulation. You see, God doesn't bruise us to destroy us. And God does not break us to cast us away. And God does not burden us to cause our end. But God uses those things to better us and to bless us and to bring more glory out of our lives. It's the pressure that gets the diamond out of the coal. It's the fire that gets the purity out of the gold. It is the pressure that gets, it's the pressure that gets the shaft separated from the wheat. And the same thing is true in my life and in yours. God can bring some sweet things at a bitter tribulation. I like the promise that he made, when thou goest through the waters, I shall go with thee. James chapter 1, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now our tendency is to run from tribulation. But oftentimes God uses the wheel of tribulation to turn our lives from shapeless clay into trophies of amazing grace. Out of the bitterness comes the sweetness. I think about Joseph's life as Joseph went through all the bitterness that he endured, but God brought some sweetness out of Joseph's bitterness. I think about Israel under Pharaoh as the midwives were told to cast the children into the sea or to kill them, but they produced the more they were afflicted, the more they produced, and God brought some sweetness out of their bitterness. I think about Job, who was broken beyond compare, but God in the end blessed him twice as much as in the beginning, and God brought some sweetness out of the bitterness. I think of Naomi, who went to the far country with her husband and lost it all and came back to Bethlehem bitter and broken, but God put a Boaz in her life, and he brought some sweetness out of her bitterness. I think of Mary and Martha, who were mourning because their brother was dead. In the bitterness of that sorrow, Jesus showed up, and Jesus spoke the word, and Lazarus came out of the tomb, and he brought some sweetness out of the bitterness, and it might get bitter is what I'm saying. It might get bad before it gets better. It might get darker before the light shines through, but I'm glad God can make the rose bloom out of the mire. He can pull the light out of the shadow and get the body out of the grave and he can pull some sweet things out of bitter tribulation. All suffering is difficult, but maybe the most difficult form of suffering is the kind we don't even know about. You say, what kind is that? Persecution. Persecution is that kind of suffering that Christians encounter simply because they're a Christian. It's when you find yourself slandered for simply living for God. 
A historian, a man named Tertullian said, when things go wrong in this world, it seems like the world thinks the remedy for their problems is to feed Christians to the lions. We're living tonight in the last days. The clock is winding down on the world. And you know this, as time draws near for Christ to come, the days get darker. And as soon as God plants a church, the devil will raise up opposition. I said on the radio this morning, when God gets to moving, the devil gets to working. Anytime God gets to doing something, the devil will raise up his head. You don't have to watch too much TV or listen to much radio or look down the street very long to realize how anti-Christ and anti-Bible our world is. Jesus told his disciples, the world hateth you. And it's hard for us sort of to comprehend this, but tonight as we sit in an air-conditioned auditorium that can't please everybody, but an air-conditioned auditorium, there are Christians around this world still yet dying for being a Christian. There are families being separated. There are freedoms being taken away. The blood of the martyrs are st still staining the soil of this world. Now, historically in America, we've been sheltered from persecution, but I don't think we'll see it at arm's length much longer. We've been blessed up to this point to simply run with the footmen, but it won't be long before we have to contend with the horses. There'll be a day when we won't just hear about it or read about it, but we'll live it and see it firsthand. You can't be ignorant, and I can't be ignorant so much to think that persecution won't come to us before long. With our nation's full tilt toward denying God and the legal protection now provided to unrighteousness and the drifting away from the Bible, even in supposed Bible-believing circles, and you see now the average American being unchurched and never having heard the gospel, it won't be long before you and I read the book of Acts and think we're reading the news report from our own city when we wake up and have our coffee in the morning. If you live faithfully to God, you can expect persecution. Socialism is an enemy to Christianity. Humanism is an enemy to Christianity. Atheism, of course, is an enemy to Christianity. Materialism is an enemy to Christianity. Paganism is an enemy to Christianity. And all of that is rooted in Satanism. You saw it, and I don't get hung up on it, but it's true nonetheless. The godlessness of the award show where they literally... Uh, extolled and exalted and worshipped or made light of at the least the devil that's America you can't even watch it the Super Bowl the same the halftime it's all leaning toward Satanism you say well I think you're being fanatical I think you're being ignorant amen you gotta get your head under the sand open your eyes and see how long is it gonna take before the wave of persecution crashes on my front door and your front door I thank God for the space of grace we've had but I believe that space of grace is gonna close very soon. It won't be long before we're like John, a brother and companion in a tribulation. We can't afford to overlook it. We can't afford to think it won't happen. We must be prepared when the battle comes to our own front door. Amen. Religious liberty could just be a memory. But here's good news. Christianity does not need government permission to serve God. I'm not coming tonight to remind you how dark it is. We know that. I want to remind you how good God is. And I said a minute ago, the wave might crash on your front porch, but it could be the waves that crash propel our ship to better waters than we've ever sailed before. 
persecution is bearable when you understand the purpose. You say, what's the purpose? To build my faith and to glorify God. So tonight, yes, suffering's a reality, and yes, trial will come, and in the world I'll have tribulation. But I'm glad my God is still the same God that I read about in the Bible, and he still knows how to bring some sweet things out of bitter tribulation. Like he did it before, I'm glad he'll do it again. He's a faithful father and a good God, and he's still in control. Now, the church here in the city of Smyrna is a persecuted church. It's a church that suffers more than the other churches that are addressed. Each of the seven churches here in Asia Minor have hardships to battle, but Smyrna seems to be persecuted the most severely. The city of Smyrna was called the glory of Asia. It was lined with large streets. In fact, one street that ran through Smyrna was paved with pure gold running from the temple of Zeus all the way to the temple of Diana in the city of Ephesus. Multiple temples to false gods rose up all throughout the city. The city was engulfed in Greek mythology. This little assembly of believers that would meet there would be surrounded on every side by these places of pagan worship and promiscuity. They're right there in the shadows of sin. And they're meeting in caves and catacombs and private places. Smyrna was a Roman city. It also demanded worship and loyalty to Caesar. Once a year, every person that lived in that city would have to burn incense on an altar to Caesar. Now, can you see where that might come into conflict with Christianity? Not only is it a Roman city and a polytheistic, paganistic city, but it's also a city where there's a large Jewish population. And just like the Muslims now who destroy the infidel, the Jew back then thought they did Jehovah a favor by killing the Christian. Everybody all right? Amen. Amen. And so the Jewish people going around trying to sniff out these little assemblies of what they thought were heretics. You see, all of these things working against the Christian, they refused to comply with that paganistic humanism in their city. And because of that, they were a threat. The government was against the church. The religious crowd was against the church. The culture was against the church. There was constant threat and constant pressure. And like a little light and a big sea of blackness, God had the church of Smyrna right there, despised by the world and in enemy of the state, but precious in the eyes of God. In verse number 10, Jesus promises the church, the devil will take some of them and cast them into prison. He said, you'll have trial and have tribulation. And I know you talk to preachers, every one of them serves God in the hardest place. I know that. But I think these people might have a strong case that they served God in one of the hardest places to stand for God. But in spite of all that, this church did not compromise They didn't capitulate. They didn't turn their back on the Lord like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bend or bow. They didn't burn. They stood for God like Naboth, they said, were not for sale. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. It's better to be burned for Christ than to turn from Christ. And because this church would not turn and stood faithful, they suffered. They didn't have an auditorium. They had a coliseum. They didn't have stained glass. They had a stake. They didn't have baptismal records. They were drowned in the river. But the more they suffered, or rather the more they were called to suffer, the sweeter of a savor they were unto the Lord. The name Smyrna means bitter. That's a fitting name for the experience this body of believers went through. They had bitter trouble, bitter opposition, bitter persecution, and bitter tribulation. When we say Smyrna Baptist Church, it's almost like we could call it bitter 
Baptist church. Just the mention of this church brings trial, suffering, and death to your mind. Smyrna is a bitter place of bitter suffering. You study it out. I mentioned it in the introduction. Multiple pastors were martyred for their faith. God in his goodness, listen to that statement, put this church in bitterness. That's not real popular. God in his goodness put this church in bitterness. He planted them in Smyrna. He tailored them for that generation and to endure that kind of tribulation. Providence so designed it that these people would be born in that city or brought to that city by circumstances and there be born again, baptized, and made part of that local church. Their call was not to serve in a pro-Christian place. They weren't flying their flag in a pro-righteousness city. They weren't living for Christ in a Christ-friendly location. They were in bitterness. Planted in bitterness, rooted in bitterness, bringing forth fruit in bitterness. And that's exactly what God desired for them to do. If you listen to the circumstances described here, if you read it, tribulation and poverty. That word tribulation literally means a crushing. The weight of the pressure that was upon them and their poverty. Not just not having a lot of money, but I'm talking about not having any money. And I like this. Jesus reminds them he knows all about it. The threat of prison loomed over their heads, yet Jesus said this, you're rich. Now I thought about that statement. What a thing to say to a bunch of believers that were impoverished. What a thing to say to a bunch of Christians that had a bunch of tribulation. What a statement in reference to a group of people that every day had to live at the risk of the religious beliefs getting them put in prison. Now listen, they're rich, he said, but they don't have any money. They're rich, he said, but they have no fanfare. They're rich, he said, but they have no government support. They're rich, he said, but they have no big building. They're rich, he said, but they don't have a big following. Yet he says they are rich. Can I say riches are not about net worth. It's about heavenly worth. Riches is not about what you wear on your back or put in your belly or fold in your wallet or keep in your garage. There's more to riches than that. And Christ said, I know that you're struggling. I know it's tribulation. I know the devil's fighting. I know the Jews are after you. I understand it's a hard thing. But in my eyes, you are rich. You're rich and your riches aren't in danger of rust. It's not in danger of moss eating it nor decay. You have riches beyond compare. You say, what did they have? Their riches were birthed out of the reproach of Christ. Their riches were the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his assurance, the riches of his power and of his provision. Christ in his goodness and his grace allowed that church to go through a furnace of affliction, a season of suffering. Why? To get more glory out of them than he did any other church. There's no correction here. There's no reproof here. There's no, there's, there's, there's no get this thing right here. He just says, hey, you be faithful. You stay at it. You press on. You're bringing glory to me, a sweet savor of life in the nostrils of our Lord. They didn't have some things others had. They didn't have the Ephesians prestige, but thank God they still had their first love. They didn't have Thyatira's budget, but at least they hadn't compromised. They didn't have Sardis ministries, but they had real life. They didn't have Laodicea's luxury, but they weren't lukewarm. The church in Smyrna was suffering, but in God's nostrils, They were a sweet safer. Out of bitterness, this blessed church rises up. No rebuke, no correction. And Jesus says, when the battle's over, you shall wear a crown. 
you read the letter and he says this, in spite of suffering, thank you for being fervent. In verse 2 he said, I know your works. I'm glad that suffering didn't dictate their faithfulness to God. I like this, in spite of their suffering, they were fearless. He said, fear not. I like this, they were faithful. He says, be thou faithful. Now, let me give you the application for tonight. There's a lot to a name. I told you earlier, Smyrna means bitterness. But Smyrna is also synonymous with another name that you're more familiar with maybe in your Bible. Smyrna the city is, is the same name. Smyrna the city that we're speaking of. Smyrna is the same name or same word as myrrh. Literally, Smyrna is the Greek word for myrrh. Myrrh is familiar to us because of the Christmas story. Myrrh was a resin or a sap that came from a tree that was used in perfume. They would harvest it, and really the best myrrh was that which wasn't cut from the tree but ran freely out of the tree. It had a very bitter taste, but a real beautiful fragrance. To say Smyrna was to say bitter, but on the other hand, to say Smyrna was to say beautiful. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 and 16, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a savor of death unto death, and to the other a savor of life unto life. When you hear that word savor, that is sacrifice language. We are talking about something that has been burned or broken and placed on an altar so that its aroma can rise up to heaven. So when we talk about the city of Smyrna, we could actually just say the city of myrrh. When we say the church of Smyrna, when we can say the church of myrrh, it's a church that has a savor. That myrrh is a spice, and it's associated primarily with death and with suffering. You study your Bible when the wise men presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. All those gifts represented an aspect of our Lord. The gold spoke of his deity, and the frankincense, or the, uh, the frankincense spoke of his royalty, and the myrrh spoke of his suffering. On the cross of Calvary, the soldiers offered Christ myrrh mingled with wine when Jesus perished, died gave up his life, Nicodemus and Joseph took his body, that broken body of the Lord and they wrapped him with aloe and myrrh and left him in a garden tomb here's what myrrh does, it cloaks the smell of death, it overshadows death, it adds a sweetness to suffering, myrrh must be crushed and when you crush that myrrh then the bitterness gives way to a sweetness, when you break that myrrh, that bitterness goes away and a sweetness rises up. When you break that myrrh, all of a sudden that aroma can rise up and it's a very pleasing thing if you were to take myrrh before it's broken and taste it. It's bitter to the taste. It's bitter to the taste buds. You don't want that myrrh in your own. But then you break that and you wear it on your body and everywhere you go, there's a sweet aroma that surrounds your life. What an analogy for us tonight how God can bring some sweet things out of some bitter tribulation. The beauty of the myrrh comes out of the brokenness of the myrrh. The beauty of the myrrh comes out of that myrrh being destroyed. When it's crushed under tribulation, it brings out its fragrance. Out of the bitter comes the beautiful. Out of the bitter comes the aroma. Out of the bitter comes the savor. God can give beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so it was that the persecution in this church made it sweet to the Lord. Now let me give you three things and I'll close just to, just to think about. It's not if, it is when persecution comes to American churches. 
When will it be our privilege? Privilege. And I'm not trying to speak bold because I don't want to go through it. But when will it be our privilege to go through some things like Christians historically have had to go through? Persecution is not our enemy. Our main goal is to glorify God. There's three things interesting about myrrh in your Bible. I want to give them to you and I'll close. Number one, myrrh is associated with the anointing of the priesthood. Exodus 30 and verse 23. Write it down and go home and read about it so we can get out early. Exodus 30 verse 23. When they're creating the anointing oil for the priesthood, one of the principal spices used in the anointing oil is myrrh. You talk about it in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 21. It talks about how we've been anointed as Christians. I tell you what persecution has historically done to Christianity. It has driven Christianity to desire the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Anything that causes the Christian's heart to hunger for more of the Holy Spirit is not a bad thing. More persecution. You read the book of Acts, and I've been hung up in that because I'm going through it on the radio and things, but you read the book of Acts. Whenever Peter and John, on that first occasion of persecution, got out of prison, they didn't go back to the church and pout about it, say we ought to quit, maybe we ought to just, just sign up with them and say, you know what, we won't speak anymore in this name. They went back and praised the Lord they were worthy to suffer, and then they bragged on the Lord for being the creator and being in control, and they didn't ask for pacifism, they didn't ask for more legal rights, they said give us boldness to speak the word. You know how God answered their prayer? By filling them with the Holy Ghost. And then it said they spoke the word of God with boldness. Persecution is not the enemy of the church. Number one, it talks about an anointed priesthood. Number two, myrrh is in reference to a purified bride. Esther chapter 2 and verse number 12. For six months, Esther, before she went into the king, would bathe herself and anoint herself with different smells. But myrrh... For six months. A purifying bride. You know what persecution does? It doesn't hurt the church. It reveals the church. We talk about it because we had it worse probably here than anywhere else in our country. COVID did not hurt the church. COVID revealed the church. It purified the church. Persecution has never hurt or killed the work of God, it has spread the work of God. There wouldn't be churches maybe here today if it hadn't been for the persecution that began the book of Acts that spread those early evangelists all over the world, began to plant churches and missionaries went out and souls got saved. I'll tell you what we think about when we think about the church of Smyrna, an anointed assembly of people and a church that God was purifying. Lastly, it speaks of a preserved body. A preserved body. John 19, 39, I referenced a minute ago, when Nicodemus and Joseph took the body of Christ, they wrapped it in myrrh. Myrrh reminds us of a preserved body. Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against Amen. the church. Acts 14, 22 says, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. The water might get rough and the road might be treacherous, but I'm glad I can say tonight the church is going to get through it. Amen. Amen. God's flaming torches are lit in darkness. God's brightest stars shine in the night. God's choicest churches and Christians arise from pits, prisons, peril, and persecution. And when the devil fights, all he does is scatter salt everywhere. Spreads light all over the world. Amen. Spreads seed in places the seed might not have fallen. 
And tonight, I hope it doesn't happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe it won't happen in our lifetime, but I bet it will. But when it does, we ought not curse the darkness. We ought to just praise God that we've been counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And like this church in Smyrna, be fervent, be faithful, and just praise God anyhow. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.